Welcome to From the Heart with Don Lister, she, her and Daniel Grimm. We are joined today by the wonderful Tanya Desfontaines, who is a teacher of biodynamic cranial sacral therapy. Uh, Tanya teaches internationally um, as well as in, in the UK. She is a cranial sacral supervisor and has her own practice. She lives in South Devon, lucky you, and has children and two grandchildren. So when she's not very busy with her work doing uh, incredible trauma work with people, she is playing with her grandkids, which I imagine is deeply grounding. So welcome, Tanya. I'm really excited to chat to you. Thanks, Dawn. Yeah, lovely to be here. So let's check in. How are we all today? Daniel, how are you? What have you been getting up to? Tell me about your life. Hi, Dawn. Hi, Tanya. Nice to be here with you both. Um, I go by the pronouns he, him. Um, I had a really nice day yesterday where um, I met my parents in South End and we went for lunch and then we went to the end of the pier, which I haven't done in 20 years. It was such a lovely thing to do. Um, Southend's got the longest pier in the world. So it's mm. 1.3 miles. Um, and there's a train that takes you down there and back. And as we were kind of on the train, just kind of trundling along, uh, you know, it doesn't go very fast, but it you know, saves having to walk there and back. Um, we were just sort of recounting memories about the pier. And it was so lovely just to kind of, you know, no, my parents had their own experiences because they were both East London born and 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 lived and South End was their place that they came to. And then they used to bring me when I was a child. And then for some reason, I ended up living here. And as we were kind of on the train, it was almost like it opened up this whole box of memories and some sad, you know, but lots and lots of happy memories as well about South End. And I said, you know, I've lived here for 20 years and I've never been to the other end of the pier. And it was really lovely just to turn back and be like, oh, OK, that's what the town looks like from here. You know, and we live in a, I live in a place called Westcliff. And I was like, there's no cliff. <laughs> it just looks flat. <laughs> but when you're at Westcliff, it seems like it's really high up. But actually, sorry, my cat's come to join us. <laughs> I didn't that was going to happen. Um, yeah, uh, when we were looking back, I was just like, it looks completely flat and you could see like into Essex for quite a long way. So uh, we were laughing about there's a there's a ship in the estuary, which is from the Second World War and it's full of bombs. And they, they've got, you know, cordons around it to make sure nothing drives into it. But it's always been said if something hits it, then obviously these bombs could go off and actually it could cause a huge tidal wave and I was thinking well if there's a tidal wave it's going to get up that cliff pretty quick <laughs> so I've been living there for 20 years thinking oh we live safe we live in a high point of the UK and actually not at all <laughs> so yeah it was really interesting both from a historical perspective from my family but also just you know just to take a look at where you live from a different angle <laughs> I did not know that the um there was a shit with bombs in it in the estuary yeah you that's know that the, radio the, station the local yeah, one called yeah. ship full of bombs that's where it got its yeah. name from <laughs> well, I, did wonder, I did wonder i didn't i had no idea there was a ship with bombs in it how bizarre and it yeah. kind of made me think a little bit it's a bit i just had this look because we've been talking about trauma about the me i met the metaphor of you know something containing trauma like bombs being like a trauma and then having to have this protection around you to protect mm -hmm. yourself. And that's kind of what we do, isn't it? When there's a trauma and it's unresolved or, or unacknowledged, we do put layers and layers of protection around ourselves. Otherwise, they can create incredible tidal waves of emotion. But it was just very interesting that my brain went there as we were ah. discussing the, the Murfield estuary, which I've been swimming in this week. Oh, my God. It's so cold. It's like... Have you been in as well, haven't you, Daniel? It's not flipping. this week. 
Oh, you I'm, haven't. I'm, I'm, I'm in that danger zone where the temperature is starting to drop and I haven't been in the sea. And I'm like, I don't want to go in the sea now because I know it's going to be really cold. <laughs> so I'm going to go tonight. I've said to myself, after this podcast, I've got a call and then I'm going in the sea. So that's my... That's I might my... join you. I might join you. <laughs> <be handy. laughs> yeah, because I was planning on a swim later. We're very, we're very lucky here, Tanya, because we can literally just walk down to the water and jump in. I mean, you're covered in seaweed and God knows where else, but... Oh. I just don't think about it. I come home and scrub with bleach to make sure I'm not <laughs> all over my body. I went to um, London on Friday. We went to a comedy club, which was amazing. It was so good to laugh. And then we went to see the Rodan at the Tate on Saturday morning. And if um, anyone listening hasn't seen it, um, I think it might be going on tour after this around the world, perhaps. So it's re- it was really worth it. So I got me a little bit of highbrow in, which was nice. And um, my husband and I are doing Noom. So we kind of were walking past all these lovely foodie places, sniffing and sort of licking windows, but not actually eating anything nice <laughs> so to log our calories. There's something very, very good about Noom because it makes you um accountable because you like i didn't know for instance i used to eat a pot of hummus every afternoon that's about 800 calories i thought that was my little healthy snack and it's not a healthy snack it's flipping giving me sick diabetes or something you know it's a huge amount of um calories in hummus so i just i literally all i changed is i stopped eating hummus in the afternoon i've lost five pounds in a week ridiculous so, yeah, we were in London looking at all the nice food, couldn't eat any of it, but we did see the Rodan, which made me very happy. So, yeah, been a good week. What about you, Tanya? What have you been up to? Beautiful. Well, yes, I'm Tanya and my pronouns are she, her. And I have been um, abroad for the first time teaching um, in this last week, just arrived back in the UK um on monday night so i'm a bit disoriented still um and today's wednesday so two days of landing and um which been lovely seeing my grandkids again and um also integrating all my own process because being in a room full of um 20 therapists all working quite deeply in the same field energetic field is is powerful and i feel in my own body the um the impacts of that in a, in a positive way so i've been had lovely session for myself and yeah resourcing myself playing with the grandkids and um yeah scheduling this for um for this week was was great because it's yeah I love to talk and <laughs> and talk about about my work and what's inspiring me and um, yeah it's great to be invited. Oh, you're so welcome, Tanya. Where where is the training that you were delivering? Uh, in Holland, in in a town um, out, about half an hour outside Amsterdam. Um, at uh, a cranial academy um, and it was the final part of a series of postgraduate um, seminars which um, I started back in 2017 so it's taken four years to because of the interruption um, these last two years to complete that but it, it was lovely to um, reconnect with with the students there and and um to deliver this this kind of final seminar of the series yeah that sounds wonderful i'm very jealous i wish i could have been there we we um i met tanya so everybody knows how we've come across the wonderful tanya to have on our podcast today when we daniel and i were looking for a retreat center to practice in the uk we quite often go to Italy to take our students away and we kind of were saying you know with a a, a nod to climate change maybe let's sort of alternate and do a year in the UK and a year somewhere else and I came across the Karuna Institute where Tanya 
um, was giving teachings. And I was looking at it as a retreat center and then came across this incredible biodynamic cranial sacral course. And I'm already a cranial sacral therapist, um, trained with another tradition. And I, there was just something about the ethos of the practice that spoke to me. And I watched the trailer, which was about four and a half minutes long, about eight times in a row, mm -hmm. and then immediately emailed and said, I need to meet these people. Um, do you have a supervisor I could talk to? And then very quickly was got an email about you, Tanya, and you're now my supervisor and we're doing some work together and I'm sort of growing my learning and feeling into a new way of practicing, which I have to say has been like coming home would be the word I would use, oh. coming home to the practice. It feels very much like this is, this is the bit that I was missing. So yeah, it, it's been great. That's wonderful to hear, Dawn, and, and yeah, just to say that's what I often hear from um, students coming into biodynamic work. It feels like coming home. There's something very um, natural, in a way, about, about the practice, um, which I don't think everybody is suited to working in that way necessarily but for people who are who it really resonates with that's the feeling coming home mm. <laughs> yeah. yeah it really is it, it, it's um for me it was two things it was very it was very mindful and very respectful mm -hmm. but before we get into details because there may be a number of people who are listening to the podcast who don't even know what cranial sacral therapy is so perhaps you could give us a little bit of information about what is cranial sacral therapy and what, what is bi biodynamic cranial sacral therapy. Mm. Yes, it's, it's a real mouthful, isn't it? And I'm, I'm looking forward to a time when we can find a, a more suited um, name for it. But craniosacral therapy uh, originated in osteopathy, so in, in osteopathic practice. Um, and it was um, an osteopath in the early 1900s um, who discovered, um, or as he described it, received the insight that there is um, an inherent breath-like rhythm that runs through the physical body that isn't the, the breath of air. Um, and William Garner Sutherland was his name, who's accredited with being the founder of craniosacral therapy, um, attributed the uh, fluctuation of cerebrospinal fluid as um, being the source of this, what he called primary respiration. Um, and so that term we, we still use today, primary respiration is um, an expression of the uh, fluctuation of life force and um, as we'll you know, maybe get to later, also a connection with the creative source, universal source, um, craniosacral therapists listen for and work with what we call the tide. So it's a, a tide-like fluctuation, primarily through the, the fluids and the field around a person's body. Um, and that's how it got its name because of the, the cranium and the sacrum being the two poles of the central nervous system, which is bathed in that, um, that particular fluid. Yeah. So I must admit, I, I'm, I'm one of those who doesn't know that much about cranial sacral therapy. However, if I have my yoga hat on, what I'm hearing you describe is prana. Yes. And the connection between the base of the body, um, you know, sort of like the perineum type area up and beyond the crown, which 
from a yogic tradition um is called shashumna it's kind of like mm-hmm. a central energy channel that yes. kind of runs in the same direction of the spine but you know maybe doesn't take in the curves of the spine but it's that kind of that action and as we breathe this this natural kind of inhalation that rises from the perineum to the crown as you exhale a sense of moving down from the crown back to the perineum Uh yes so now we're getting closer to biodynamics um, so craniosacral therapy came from very much a, a, a biomechanical system of, of osteopathy, of structural work with, with the physical body. Um, and within that, the cranial field, as it was called, with, within osteopathy, um, began to work with these more subtle um, expressions from from the body um, and still very much in that mechanical mindset of looking at the flexion and extension or rotation of certain structures Um, whereas uh, I I love hearing you talk about the yogic perspective because what I was just teaching was a seminar about ignition processes which happen in the midline at that level of Shashumna of of the light body, and that's the midline is one of our what we would call practitioner fulcrums, a main orientation um, from which we we make a connection and and work with people. Um, so there are many of those natural rhythms that you described in our human system. We're we're multidimensional beings. Um, in actuality and so within the the many layers or fields as we call them of energetic organization around which the physical body is formed and continues to to maintain a form um, there are rhythms and tides and um, that have been described in many different traditions. So the yogic tradition, the um, chakra system, um, in the Chinese system also you have the um, center channel and um, there are correspondences on many levels. Um, So that's very pleasing to me to see where um, the understanding that I have of, of biodynamic craniosacral therapy, for want of a better name, um, resonates with a lot of um, ancient systems of, of medicine, of, of understanding life uh, and, and healing practices. Yeah. So could you just say... You've explained a little bit about what the rhythm is and you've spoken a little bit about the tides and how it correlates, it can correlate to, you know, the energy systems that we speak of in yoga, the in yoga practice. Mm-hmm. Could you speak a little bit about what does cranial sacral practice actually do? <clears throat> like if somebody was to come to you, why would somebody come to you for a treatment? What would what would be happening and, and what, what would be the reason for them to come and visit you? Yeah. Okay, so people come to craniosacral therapy usually because they've been recommended it um, or they already know about it because it's it's such a um, it's unfortunately still little known modality, um, relatively speaking, um, and they come with all kinds of physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual challenges. So, uh, you know, very often there is um, some physical problems and alongside that uh, issues of anxiety, stress, 
nervous system activation of various kinds, trauma history, which the person may or may not overtly speak about when they when they come to seek treatment. Um, I also see babies and children and women during pregnancy and work a lot around birth and the impacts of birth. Um, and yeah, sometimes people come with complex problems that don't fit into a particular category in the in the medical health services. So all kinds of um, reasons why people might might seek sessions, common things like headaches, sleep problems, painful conditions. Um, and how it works is, to put it simply, the healing happens from the inside out. So I'm working with the forces that support health and also the, the forces that are contained within an area of compromise in some way, um, not with the structure of the body as such. So I do no adjustment or um, techniques as such. Don't put any force into the body. It's a very gentle contact. It is a hands-on way of working, um, but it's more listening with, with the contact and through the, the energetic field and what is very specific to Karuna and the training that was developed there is something that we call the relational field. So that's the quality of relationship between therapist and, and client. Um, very important in, uh, particularly in, in trauma work. Yeah. Hope that, does that tell you more or, or prompt more questions? Then? All of the above. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> I, I know often for myself, when people come to pre come to me, it's, as you say, it's like, oh, someone gave me your number. They don't yeah. really know what you do, but they said they think you could help. Yes. And, and, and it is... It's interesting, isn't it? It's, it's such a light touch practice and it can seem as if very little is happening during mm -hmm. the practice. I mean, we might be feeling a lot because our hands and our awareness is very tuned in and sensitive, but the client may feel very little or they may feel rela very relaxed or they could become very emotional. And so I kind of feel like anything can happen in that therapeutic process that we're, we're sort mm -hmm. of creating together mm -hmm. um but but what we what does seem to happen and maybe you could speak a little bit about this is for me it's like um in the same way that in our yoga practice we speak about and in our mindfulness practices this calming of the nervous system yes that that's very much a big piece that happens within cranial work is that we are allowing the parasympathetic nervous system to just calm mm -hmm. everything calming right down and in that space, when the body's not in such a state of high alert and high stress and in fight and flight, the, the body's inner wisdom is, is knowing, which is always trying to create this state of balance. In that space, those, those um, our capacity for healing begins to emerge. So the body begins to heal itself. Yes, yes, exactly. Um, that that is uh, a nice way of putting how how this therapy works that that for sure um, one of the main things that clients notice is is the relaxation in their body also calming of the mind mm. um, settling into a, a, a more relaxed state, clearing of forces, as you said, fight and flight, and also freeze parasympathetic mm. charge and balancing mm. of the autonomic nervous mm. system. Mm. <clears throat> and often that's, you know, something that, that already will improve a lot of the conditions that we spoke about. 
um, mm. or that I mentioned. Um, however, that's really the starting point for a deeper healing process mm. to, to begin to emerge, which um, comes from the body's own. Uh, one of the um, cranial teachers, uh, James Jealous, I, I think it was, who said, coined the phrase, the inner physician comes mm. to the forefront. So within each individual person's system, and I use the word system rather than body because it's a mind, body, spirit, whole system. Mm. Um, there is the, if you like, the solutions are bound up along with the, the problems. I'm, in inverted commas so where there's there's a holding of some historical impact within the body whether that's an accident a fall an emotional impact a shock mm. whatever um, those forces that have impacted are centered by life force um, mm. which is a a healthy response to something that impacts us mm. and then during the cranial session as the body settles and the nervous system lets down discharges a priority comes to the forefront for mm. a deeper healing process to start to unfold and um, that's what we call the inherent treatment plan which mm. I quite like that term is a treatment plan from within Mm. which I can never know what that is ahead of time with any particular client. And so it's true, each session unfolds as it needs to from within the client system in the safety of my holding field. And um, also as the, the relational field develops, that can go um, to, to greater depths and um all of that happens without if you look from the outside it doesn't look like much is happening at all because mm -hmm. there are no techniques or anything that looks like i'm doing something to the person's body mm -hmm. um and from a biomechanical perspective that might be what what a person's expecting you know that i'm going to do something to them which is going to make their symptoms better yeah. and in biodynamic work that's um it's that it's the opposite of that mm. yeah as you were saying that tanya i was just reflecting upon the work that we do as therapists particularly in these fields where we're working with subtle energy and really connecting quite deeply with people's emotive self there is a, a notion within our society that actually you know if you're not doing something then how's it going to change <laughs> and you know this thing around using force or forcing ourselves to heal Mm. when we're not ready to heal yeah and I suppose what I've heard you say is you 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 use your hands and you use language yes to allow that person to feel comfortable enough to start to be able to actually understand what it is that they may need to do within themselves to support themselves so you're empowering them yes Yes, that's right, and that's rather, rather than it being you, other person with this with yeah. with the answers. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Which is often, you know, initially what a a, a client might expect, um, but it is, as you say, much more empowering to to feel have that sense of that we're working together. I'm supporting their system to be able to do what it needs to do from within um and it's quite contrary to the kind of cultural expectations um i think and 
um, yeah, it's, it's not a passive process, although it's, you know, your, your client gets very relaxed and um, it might look again like it's a passive process, but it, but it isn't. There's an engagement from within um, the person who's on the table and that's necessary and, and empowering. I would I was just thinking when um one of the things I noticed with clients is very much it's almost like it, it can feel sometimes a bit underwhelming over a period of time because they seem to find their natural state and their equilibrium so that's very normal like they're not going to feel some although sometimes there is a big crash bang wallop you know for sure people can get very you know, have a big emotional response, but it's just like, it's almost like, oh, I feel really good. It's just like, it's not, it's just, oh my God, I've, it's almost like, they've, like I said at the beginning, they've come home. Yes. Like, oh, yes. But, you know, because there's not, there's just, they drop into who they are. They drop into that field, which I believe, and maybe you can correct me around my reasoning around this, but they drop into that field in which we all exist you know that that universal feel that it doesn't go away even if we're in a state of trauma or distress it's it's still there it's still present they just can't access it yes yes absolutely it's a being state that's what i would say and this is partly going Mm -hmm. back to what you said daniel about about doing and i'm the more advanced a practitioner the less doing there is in, in my experience anyway, and, and it's much more about being. So, um, yeah, and, and changes can happen almost without noticing. <laughs> and I, 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 on what you said, Dawn, I find it really interesting that actually so many of us, myself included, are very used to living in extremes of states. So either highly anxious or very low. And actually, when you just feel okay, (laughs) then that okay state can feel quite underwhelming. But actually, that okay state feels or, you know, is in effect the place in in the yogic tradition is kind of looking at this, this model called the gunas, where you have rajastic state which is like so much energy in the mind and so much you know there's so much going on a state of anxiety almost you have tamastic state which is a a state of almost kind of inertia and the idea between is to kind of bring those two elements together to find a state of sattva which actually is balance or stability. Yes, interesting. That's um Dawn, you're on mute. Oh. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> We're having a small technical problem. I feel like the announcer on the BBC <laughs> being interrupted by a small technical problem. Yeah, so we, you guys are frozen, so I can't see if anybody wants to talk, but we'll manage. We can uh, we can negotiate and be respectful. I'm sure. So, so when when um a client comes to you for trauma work, for instance, um Tanya, it's kind of the work that all three of us really are very entrenched in. Um, then how how does how does the practice of CST, how does that help to manage trauma and the effects of trauma? What happens? So trauma is is something that I'm particularly interested in and the whole field of trauma work has, has really come much more into the public sphere, I think, in, in the last several years. Um, so the way that um, I work with with trauma using biodynamic cranial work is um, it's primarily uh, 
a relational approach, a mindful approach. Um, as I was saying before, creating a sense of being to being connection, mm -hmm. so not to do with the personality form or the stories or um, you know what, what's on the surface, but kind of dropping underneath that and creating um, first and foremost safety. So it, you know the, the fact that I'm working with with biodynamic cranial work is almost neither here nor there at that point it's about creating safety a sense of safety in relationship and from there then I um, move into hands-on work whereby um, again the, the nervous system having calmed and settled and reached that more balanced place um, historical the impacts of historical traumatic events or it may just be a, a sense of overwhelm through the whole person's whole system can start to dissipate and um, so a lot of the skill of that is to recognize when that's happening to use verbal skills engagement to help the person um, to let that I'm going to say charge it's like a charge in the body let that dissipate and and um, and clear in a way that feels not overwhelming so it's important to to pace things well um, to keep a sense of that being okay which um, I, is, is a starting point for the session work um, to establish a sense of being okay something that um, reminds the person of their resources um, and then to uh, manage the the clearing of of trauma from the body because trauma is very um it, it's very well documented evidenced these days that trauma is held in the body um that can be discharged in a way that the person's staying within what they can process yeah so that it doesn't overwhelm the system again and the you know the from the point of view of craniosacral therapy, the the force, the life force, which um, we call potency, but has many other names like chi and prana and uh, so on, and um, can move in the way that it needs to move um, through the expression of the tide, primary respiration, and um, some level of uh, discharge of, of traumatic forces can happen. Yeah. Sorry, I know I do go on a lot and I'm not sure if I'm answering <laughs> your questions. So do, do let me know or stop me if it. You, you, you go on the perfect amount, Tanya. Which oh. is, uh, it's, all, it's always interesting. There's always so much to unpack. Um, it's, it's wonderful. Thank you so much. So, you know, I, I, my, in my experience, and I'm sure, Daniel, I'd love to hear your viewpoint on this. People respond to trauma in different ways. We all have a different way of managing our trauma. And I think for a lot of people, avoidance is one of them, you know, and, you know, in a, in a session, you know, you might be tr instinctively trying to avoid going to the place where you feel traumatized because you don't want to have to re-traumatize yourself. And for me, one of the wonderful things about practices that we all do, our yoga, our mindfulness and, and the cranial work, if they're done respectfully, they can be a real container for you to safely release some of the, you know, the stuff that we've ha experienced in life. I don't know. What are yes. your thoughts on that, Daniel? Yeah, I mean, I was I was thinking from a you know a, a yoga therapy perspective around trauma, and 
the, the sheer kind of enormity. Sorry, my other cat's here now. <laughs> <laughs> the 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 enormity of how trauma can show up, whether it is in our physical realm, whether it's in our breath and our energetic realm realm, whether it's in our mental emotional self or actually how that trauma can block us a lot of the time from actually our truth our spirituality our connection with that sort of inner self and mm -hmm. i can completely understand how the way that you you've described how cranial biodynamic cranial sacral therapy is approached with trauma is that actually it's about creating that really safe space for people to be able to explore those different levels with you. And, yes. and from a yoga therapy perspective, you know, I, I might give someone some postures to do that might nurture them. I might give them some breathing techniques to help bring that parasympathetic, sorry, bring the sympathetic nervous system back into check a little bit more so then they can start to notice the 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 the, the thoughts or the emotional responses that they're having when they're being mm -hmm. triggered at that time mm -hmm. and I suppose what's lovely about the way that you've described it is that you're there with that person holding that yeah. person as they go through that experience yeah yeah absolutely which um is entirely i mean one of our our main practitioner skills i would say is presence you know it's mm. a it's a mindful um approach it's it's to cultivate the possibility of being really present with my client at that being to being level you know, mm. a heart centered mm holding field and being there with them and um, modulating or, or um, titrating is, is Peter Levine's um, word for uh, that approach of just moving towards something traumatic um, in, in a way that um, you could just touch it and then move away and let the the nervous system clear a bit of that charge it's very as you said that first and foremost creating safety and that respectful negotiation of of contact whether that's physical contact and also energetic contact and empowering that person to um in in being there with you um to move through as much or little as is appropriate at the time i was just thinking uh, you know we're all traumatized life is you know yes. trauma can, can sound like a more catastrophic word than it needs to be you know yes. there's little traumas like the birth trauma you know just arriving in the world from a natural birth point of view, you know, if the mother is in a state of slight panic or the energy in the room's a bit off or the light's not right, there's a little bit of birth trauma there. It's normal, you know, you cross the road, the car beeps at you, makes you jump, that can traumatise you. It, it, the problem isn't so much always the trauma, it's they're not knowing what to do with it. Yes. And I think um, the work that we do in cranial and as we've said, the other treatments or practices, they, they give us tools to help regulate the systems that that um, cause us to hold on to our traumas and compound them to almost see them as being you know something bad it's almost bad to admit that you've got a trauma it's almost it's not okay to admit you're not okay in the moment yeah. you know yes. I've seen a lot of that I was talking about it yesterday to somebody this sort of you know just gone through a pandemic but I meet a number of people saying I'm perfectly fine I'm absolutely fine it's been beautiful for me and I'm thinking and I kind of think well how can it be we've just seen people die everywhere and you know other people are really struggling and you know 
the economy is in a terrible state, which has an impact. How can you be looking out of the world and that all that be okay with you? You know, that seeing other people suffer, hopefully, mm. unless you're a narcissist completely, will create a sense of sadness and, you know, compassion and an element of trauma within you yes. on this scale. So I, I kind of feel like trauma is something we all experience to some degree or another, and hopefully these practices can be supportive of that. Going forward in the world, if the world knew how to handle trauma better, I wonder what it would look like. And I wanted to speak to you specifically about um, the prison service. This was something we were discussing. I, I have a client and actually who works in the prison service and one of the therapists who works alongside me works in the prison service. Mm-hmm. And we've often spoken about how beneficial it would be for people who are incarcerated to experience these kinds of treatments. And I know I would be really interested to hear what you've got to say about that. Yeah, yeah, thank you, Dawn. Well, um, firstly, I, you know, just to um, affirm what you were saying about, yes, we are all traumatized and it's a bit of a loaded term. Um, <coughs> and, and also there can be kind of judgment, self-judgment about it. Um, so in, in essence, yes, it's not possible to come into life in a physical body into this world and not feel the impacts of the conditions that we meet the, um, and particularly at, at the moment. Um, and our capacity to cope with what we meet is... Um, very much depends on the degree to which we are supported, connected, resourced. Um, so that trauma isn't really about what happens to us. It's about how we, what we do with what happens to us, how we um, deal with that. And the um, protective responses are actually wise responses at the time of something overwhelming um, and the uh, also the um, possibility of learning to regulate um, it's like it's never too late for that so in in our work with people uh, what we're doing largely is co-regulating using our like my nervous system to um, support my client's nervous system to to downregulate or to come out of a freeze state and and so on it's a natural process that happens between human beings um, and then they you were speaking about collective trauma in you know that that happens when we have these large scale um, impacts of the recent pandemic, of wars, of you know um, conditions which which affect a lot of people, um, and vicariously vicarious trauma when we see the suffering of others, and that can be quite unbearable. Um, and so, you know, one way to deal with that is to close down and not feel any of it. But then there can be quite a sense of disconnection from from life, Um, isolation, depression, anxiety, and so on. Um, And in speaking specifically about the the prison community, um, you you, you asked the question, what kind of a world would it be if everybody was more aware of trauma and the impacts of trauma. Well, in prisons, um, I think there you have a community of traumatized people, um, largely. That, and, and trauma, if you like, with a capital T, trauma in terms of adverse childhood events, um, which can create post-traumatic conditions. Um, in people and uh, the majority of the population of um, our prisons would fall into that category. Um, so 
yeah, I, I recently came across the work of a woman called Fritzi Horstman um, in the Compassion Prison Project. Um, and she uh, goes into prisons and works with the inmates in terms of recognizing their um, their unity, their commonality in in um, the traumatic events that they have suffered, mostly in childhood, um, and the impact that that's that's had on them. And it's as the name suggests, a compassion based approach, um, which our biodynamic cranial work also is, and no doubt also your your um, yoga practices and mindfulness practices. So I don't know if you know actually the the name Karuna from the Karuna Institute means compassion. Karuna is that that quality um, of the the ability to sit with another in their suffering and that human being to human being. Where does the word come from, Karuna? Do you know? Karuna is a, a Sanskrit word, as far as I'm aware. Um, and it's one of the... Uh, now, I'm not a, a, a Buddhist scholar, but I believe that there are four what are called Brahma Viharas, the, the qualities for cultivation um, with mindfulness practice and... and um, so you have metta, which is a loving kindness quality, and karuna, which is the quality of compassion, um, and two others, which I can't remember the names of, but yeah, that's where it comes from. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So is there anything else that you would like to share about the work that you're doing um out in the world because you know i feel like we're in a world that needs more compassion and more love and we need more people like you who are out there sharing and sharing these skills and these knowledges um if we were to able to go into schools and prisons and even into yeah. hospitals you know where people are poorly and they're frightened and i've gone in to numerous hospitals um, and hospices before COVID, I'm not allowed to know, and worked with people towards yes. end of life just yeah. to calm and ease the transition or to support them during their treatment. And I think I know that, that that's been very helpful for them. Yeah. And, you know, and, and I've received a lot. It's been great for me as well. You know, you, you, you give you when you receive, when you give, you receive as much in my experience, especially in yes. this work. You know, is there is there anything you'd like to share with our listeners around the work that, that you're doing that you feel would be useful for them to know? Yes. Well, thank you um, for asking. And, and firstly, I, I also feel, gosh, what a different world it would be if we were all able to be in our hearts in that way. Mm. Um, and and that's not kind of a, a, an airy fairy oh wouldn't it all be lovely if we were all could love each other and be kind to each other it's it's a much more sort of gritty place than that of it's mm -hmm. it's can be tough to be mm. in one's heart in this mm. world and um you know so i i would love to somehow be able to join the dots of all these little wonderful projects and people who are doing such things going into hospices and prisons and um, mm. those kind of places um, and just bringing more awareness of what a what a difference it can make to come from from the heart um, and to, to have uh, more access to the, the healing potential that, that we all have within us. Um, so what am I doing at the moment? I'm, <laughs> I'm uh, just begun um, teaching live again, as I say, um, at the moment internationally and 
looking to set up some uh, courses here in the UK uh, for next year. Um, so if you're interested, you can uh, check out my website, which I'm sure will be in the, in the show notes. Um, and I also have a web-based series I've having um, over the last two years had to overcome my, my Luddite tendencies and, and really get more up to speed with working online. And I'm quite amazed actually what, what is possible to do remotely and, and through this wonderful World Wide Web, which has become my friend now. So, so I have a, a web-based series of um, workshops, seminars on, on trauma, different aspects of trauma, um, which I developed for people who, who work with people. So you might be a therapist of some kind, a body worker, a yoga person. Um, so it's really to, to bring that kind of trauma-informed um, awareness into your work. And I, again, I'm scheduling um, a new run of those webinars for the early part of next year. So um, that might be of interest to people listening to this podcast. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm always up for, for speaking, for having a chat, for, yeah, communication. Like I say, I'd, I'd love to see, to hear about also other projects and work that people are doing. Mm. I think it's one of the things you've mentioned was you know that that's that if you're a pr practitioner being looked after and supervised mm -hmm. you know it's a, it's a big part of what you do um is supervision of therapists and Daniel and are often saying you know it's a shame that yoga teachers don't really it's not very mm -hmm. common for a yoga teacher to have supervision around their work I and mean, yet we're working with people often who arrive in class who are really in a deeply traumatized state i personally can't speak highly enough about i mean i have supervision for everything i do all the different elements I, i'm supervised by different people and yeah. the richness that comes to your your learning when you're working with someone who's more experienced than you and who's got a wider knowledge and who also can just call you out on your own stuff where you might be getting a bit stuck or caught up in your own story in yeah. your relationship with your client or your yes. the group of people that you're working with I think yeah. if we could encourage people who are listening perhaps you know if you aren't supervised maybe consider beginning that kind of relationship and and maybe if you're not a therapist you know and you're listening and you think you know what I really hear I need that kind space for myself then look at ways that you can support yourself I guess you know maybe having a regular cranial treatment or attending a class or taking time out to really develop a kind relationship with yourself. So not only are we living from the heart for others, but we're living from the heart for ourselves. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And that here's another misnomer, really supervision um, is uh, something that, that I've always participated in because I started out in the NHS as a physiotherapist many years ago and um, supervision is um, now I, I both give and receive supervision an essential support for anybody mm. working with with people um, mm. or actually for anybody it's it's and it doesn't mean somebody keeping an eye on what you're doing or whether you're doing your job properly or whatever it's actually um, a support, a held space where you can bring whatever you need to bring that's impacted you from your work, whether it's mm -hmm. to do with your own process, your own history or technical, clinical mm -hmm. problems mm -hmm. or something like that vicarious trauma we were talking about, something you witnessed or something a client told you about that um, was difficult to hear and, and to process for yourself. So it's a a confidential and held supportive resource um, but yeah uh, I have very much benefited from as you say Dawn and also now I'm able to um, to offer 
I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, supervision for me has just been an evolution of myself. Mm. You know, having mm-hmm. some having someone to hold the space for me and be able to guide me in a direction that maybe I didn't even realize I needed to go in. <laughs> there's a there's a real skill and an art to to supervision. Yeah. And it comes again when you're operating from that place of the heart. Yes. And you it, can and really it, hold somebody. Yeah. It, it can be very creative. It can be playful. It you know it, mm. it can be fun. It can be challenging. Um all those things and uh you know really it's um as you say an arena for growth and and to to self-reflection i realized on the questions that we sent over to you tanya there was one that was missing that we ask everybody so i'm going to put you on the spot now okay Obviously, with all this work that you're doing, how do you take care of yourself? Yeah, well, um, that's important because when you were speaking about supervision, Daniel, I was thinking, yeah, and this is how we prevent burnout. And, you know, that there is this term compassion fatigue, like, like you could run out of compassion, and uh, which is not a place that I ever want to, to reach. Um, so I, I feel like it's, to to stop that from happening I have learned and that's been part of my growth that I I really have to resource myself first like putting on my oxygen mask before I try to help somebody else so how I take care of myself is um, very much about getting out in nature that's been my my antidote to spending hours on zoom over the course of the pandemic um yeah, to have time out for myself where I can check in, what do I need? Um, because I spend such a lot of my time holding other people that you know it's important I have that alone time and going for a walk in nature is, is the ideal for me. Um, also playing with my grandchildren, <laughs> we, that's very resourcing for me, brings me back down to earth. Um, and learning to say no has been also an essential part of the process, really knowing what my capacity is, where, where my boundaries are, um, so that I look after myself in the same way that I look after the people that I work with. Yeah. Sounds wonderful. Sounds like a perfect balance. <laughs> Well, it's an ever-changing, I don't know if it's perfect, but it's, it's certainly good enough. It's, it's uh, yeah, I feel well. And that, as you say, my work resources me, mm. um, but also I need to have a time out from that and um, other focuses in my life, I think. It's important yeah. to be just with one focus. It's really interesting, you know, as we've been doing these podcasts, I think we've probably interviewed about 30 people now. And so many people have kind of alluded to the fact that actually their self-care is very transitional. Right. You know, it's responsive and it's yeah. it's, it's reactive to what's actually yeah. happening yeah. Um, rather than it being a fixed thing that has to be done, which when you read so many self-care books or you know go to so many different ways of or modalities of looking after yourself it's like you must do this on a certain day at a certain time and it has to be very structured and yes. actually we don't live we don't live like that do we you know no, I we're, certainly li- don't. <laughs> we're living breathing emotional human beings and we need yes. to be adaptive you know that's we need ever changing yeah yeah absolutely yeah yeah it's been wonderful to chat with you Tanya I can't thank you enough for creating the time and space out of your very very busy schedule to come and talk to us about CST and I really hope that maybe some people who haven't tried it before who are listening to the podcast you know maybe reach and look search out our biodynamic cranial sacral therapist 
in your area. And I would say it's worth traveling, having experienced many different types of practitioners in my 10 years of being associated with cranial sacral, actually longer because I did it when my kids were babies, so 20 years. Um, it's worth looking for someone who does biodynamic practice, in my opinion. Just clarifying that. So thank Great. you. Great. Thank you, Dawn. And thank you, Daniel. It's really been a pleasure to, to be here and um, talk to you. And uh, yeah, I'm really happy to be um, reaching lots of people, hopefully this way, who may not have heard of, of biodynamic cranial work and um, could be uh, interested and be helped by it and maybe also help others. Yeah. Well, thank you for providing the space for others to feel held and supported because I think, you know, as we've said through this podcast, you know, there's just not enough outlets for it. You know, there's so many people that are in need of support and help in different yes. ways. And, you know, there's not enough of us to go around, unfortunately. <laughs> no, no, which is why it just need to educate and yeah um empower people in that way to to um care for themselves i guess that's what it and regulate themselves and connect with each other absolutely yeah well thank you so much for your time today and thank, thank you dawn for as ever asking such brilliant questions um we're really grateful for you listening today um, if you have any feedback, please do let us know. The best way to give feedback is either by emailing off of our website, anahataYogaCenter.com, or going onto the Apple Podcast app, um, and you can leave feedback there as well. Um, if there's anything you want us to talk about, or if there's anyone that you'd like us to interview, then please do let us know. We'd be really, really grateful to hear your thoughts around that so until next time thank you so much tanya thank you dawn and thank, thank you for you. listening